Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks uh, for being here today. Um, we just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you to all of our volunteers and, and everybody that helps us be who we are. And um, I wanted to clarify something with, uh, with Jay's Garage. Um, this is a part of our men's ministry. This is not, I am suspicious, if this is men, come help me fix my stuff. Um, but... Serves two purposes. So, it is a part of our men's ministry. Jay's been working on it for a while. Um, and it is a very nice garage, so we've got to give him that. So, it's a nice place. He'll be by the hot tub, which is also known as a baptistry, um, and uh, handing out invites as well. Uh, just a way for guys to be in unity together and uh, be a part of the church. So, we are in the final week of a series I started a long three weeks ago. It was just kind of a little mini, um, and it's all about making heaven crowded, which is our vision and, and who we are and what we are about. The first week was about kind of taking back the land that has been claimed by the enemy and the church being on offense and because what we need to we need to be urgent, and that's what we talked about last weekend was the urgency of where we are and the reality of the of the the circumstances we find ourselves in here in this church, but also the the, the broader church. And today we're going to be looking at what I think is kind of the moving forward part of this, and that's the how <laughs> how do we reach people? How do we uh, take back the land, how do we have urgency, but now it's how are we going to be creative enough to reach the next generations. And in order to make heaven crowded, we need to engage the world with God's goodness and God's good news. So when I talk about creativity, a lot of us will go, well, I'm not really that creative. Because you think probably immediately of, well, I, I don't sing. I sing poorly enough that you couldn't hide my voice in a choir, right? Or I, don't, I can't paint or I'm not an artist. And Okay, those are parts of creativity, but you, all of us, every human is creative. Because you were made, you were created by a creative God. You know, the, the, Bible, <clears throat> the Bible starts with, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And then later on in verse 27, and when we were created, it said, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So if we are a reflection of the image of God, if the image of God is within us, then we are creative in some capacity. And the church should be creative because it's filled with creative people. So the church should be someone, something that reaches out generation by generation, finding new ways to engage the culture. And we should engage the culture with joy and wonder. And, and I know sometimes the church can get a little bit too serious. And there are times for seriousness, but there's also times for joy, especially as we're kind of getting into the Christmas season, this time filled with 
joy. But sometimes it's filled with anxiety, <laughs> burden, tiredness. Can we fit any more children's activities into December uh, than we possibly can? January is available for things, but we say, nope, everything is in these three weeks. And as parents sometimes just go, oh, just get through it. Now, that's not a good way to engage. Hey, come, come to another thing to get through. The church is filled with children of God. And when we have... Uh, all of us together, we should have joy and laughter and expression. And here's, here's why. Uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus says this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Wonderful question um, filled with, uh, since, since I'm an early adopter, do I get to be like the vice president of heaven? Or am I a regional manager? How does this work? And Jesus says, actually, he calls a little child to him and places the child amongst them. Truly, I tell you, Jesus, that he uses that term when he wants emphasis. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a big statement. We should pay attention to that. Unless you change. Well, okay, our first question should be, what do little kids have that I don't then? Creativity, joy, wonder, laughter. They're reliant on God. They're reliant on their parents. They trust. And we slowly work that out of them. We slowly work joy and laughter. That's, you, that's childish. Yeah. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, verse 4, of child is the greatest. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What happened to us? What, what year did we grow up? And what year did we kind of put away childish things? I don't know. It's a video that I'm going to show you here of a, of a little girl seeing a train. And I just want you to ask yourself the question, when did I stop? When, when did we lose that? Somewhere. Maybe an event or... Somewhere along the way we grew up. When Jesus says, unless you become like her, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Wonder. Joy. And so we as a people of, of faith need to engage the culture with that. We need to show the joy and love and mercy of, of God... And we need to, the church needs to be as creative as we possibly can to reach the lost. Last weekend, I, I used this typewriter as an, as a, oh, I, I left this here. I used this as a 
object lesson. Um, as a way of, you know, demonstrating how far we've come in, you know, 100 years, this is from the 30s, I made it make a noise. Um, so it does work a little bit, not well. And that, the typewriter is an image of the, the height of technology at one point. Now, in your pockets, you have something that does something very similar, but in a new and innovative way. That's a heavy machine that is now kind of thrown into the useless pile. I bought it for $20 on Facebook. I don't know how much it would have been, but that was someone's career that has, you know, been innovated out. I have, um, and the church ought to be as relevant as we possibly can to reach those who are lost. The church has always done this. They look at the culture around it. They don't allow the culture to uh, consume it. We see the culture and say, hey, how can we reach them and what methods can we use? So we change. We modernize. Uh, this church used to be filled with Swedish hymnals. Okay, this is, I can't read a bit of this. This is the book of Psalms. Um, all in Swedish. I have boxes of them. And here, you can pass it around. <laughs> changed somewhere along the way. Why? To reach more people. Why? Nobody could read it. <laughs> people stopped reading it, so we needed to change to reach more people. They looked at what was happening in the city and said, hey, we need to change the language in order to reach these people. In the book of Acts, Paul finds himself um, in, this, in Athens, and he is surrounded by false idols and foreign gods. And in verse, chapter 17, verse 16, uh, he has this to say, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. You are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he sees what is happening. He says, I've got good news. He went out, and I've got a picture of where he was when he was speaking this. This is in Athens. And this is where Paul was you know, trying to reach this group that did not know who Jesus was. And the church has always been innovative to make heaven more crowded. And you can see that, actually, throughout church history, um, a lot of times reflected in its, in its own buildings and in cathedrals. We've got an image of uh, the Glasgow Cathedral here 
Um, this was built over a few hundred years. And if you are in one of those older cathedrals, you'll, you'll note that everything draws your eyes up. There's a reason for that. They designed it that way. Largely a literate group of people would come to worship and they would look up. Usually they're in the shape of a cross. So if you ever do an aerial, you do a Google satellite picture of any, you know, any city, you'll notice, hey, there's a cross, there's a cross, those are the churches. And what's at the heart of, what's at the, the, the intersection of the cross is where the word is proclaimed and communion is presented. It's a reason for that. Sometimes, uh, not just looking up, they would paint literally on the ceilings because uh, in Rome, it was a very big deal. Art was, took that city captive, and they said, let's use it. Actually, let's, let's pay the artists. Most of the artists that we are known and know and love, composers and musicians, were paid for by the church. Now, in that culture, that's what would reach people. But in Scandinavian culture, they would build things called stave churches. And a reflection of that is they're shipbuilders. They look like ships. Not a lot of art in them. They're dark. But there would be something that they would use. There's one in Minnesota. I can't remember the name. Yeah. If you ever see one going, it's a reflection of the culture. And they're using the culture to proclaim the word of God. And even fast-forwarding a couple hundred years past that, we have, you know, revivals and tent meetings. As, we, as the gospel came to America, we, we went out into the frontiers, and we had camp meetings to proclaim the message. There's a Methodist preacher, Francis Asbury, that put 100,000 miles on a horse. Then Billy Graham happened. Another revivalist before him. I've got a video here of um, him filling Yankee Stadium. So he saw a place where people's idols played and said, let's use it. Let's use it to reach the generations. So what does the church should do? We should be as creative and as innovative as possible to reach people because it is filled with creative and innovative people. It's why we do the things like trunk retreats, which we're going to have a video here of that. Um, and, you know, we, we take the opportunity to say, hey, people are coming together. Let's have the church use that. And I love there's going to be a picture coming up of Ken Wright dressed as a pizza slice, um, playing, singing in the worship team. It's one of his proudest moments, right, Ken? Yeah. And uh, so... We use it. We saw what was culture, what, what, were they, what are they doing? So we use that to reach people, to proclaim the good news. Um, in 2020, at the height of COVID, in political season, we know, go to the next picture, there's a whole bunch of yard signs. So let's have the church design one and create one. That was for our fearless campaign during political season. We have women's ministries and fearless moms, and they have, I've got a video of that coming, and there's always, you know, women gathering and men going to Jay's garage. There's Bible studies. There's a theology nights at, so, at the Skyline Lanes. There's, what can we do? How can we do it? Where's our, where's our Areopagus? So I wanted to invite um, Shannon up, because she's kind of our chief creative here at Eastridge. 
And Shannon does, does Shannon do, do a good job? Yeah, okay. So what is, um, you know, in worship specifically, how does creativity matter? Or what do you do? Well, we serve a very creative God. You look at anything in nature and you can see the detail and the intricacy and the beauty and what he made. And if he created us in his image, as worshipers, we should be creative in return. You know, he created us to worship and he gave us minds that can come up with all sorts of things. So if we're using it for his glory, then absolutely creativity is necessary. So how do you use creativity what you do here? Uh, anything that we're doing that glorifies God is okay. So the question is, what are we doing that draws people in from different demographics and people that maybe have never come to church before? So, you know, updating music. There's nothing wrong with old traditional hymns. Maybe updating them a little bit so they sound similar to what someone with no church background mm -hmm. has heard. Kind of puts them at ease, but it's still the lyrics and the traditional style that still glorifies God. We did one of those today yeah. at the front end of the service. If you were late, you missed it. Um, <laughs> it yeah. And what creative ways do you think, you know, we could use to reach those who are far from God? Basically, the opposite of what churches are doing that aren't growing. You know, not keeping ourselves inward in this little cocoon of our church people. Let's go out there and reach people with, you know, maybe having, one of my thoughts was having... Like what we do with Trunk or Treat, like you were saying, having the band play in our silly costumes and playing music that people are familiar with, and they go, oh, hey, they're not weirdos. <laughs> Church right. can be fun. Yeah, nothing says you're not weirdos like a pizza slice oh, singing. Right. <laughs> we're totally normal. Um, totally, totally normal. And, yeah, it's, it's trying to put together, a, a, not compromising the message whatsoever, um, but presenting it in unique ways, and the church has constantly done that. I know with Christmas coming up, we're going to all of a sudden revert back to some older songs, right? Well, yeah, we will, and there's definitely room for that. It's the tradition that people are comfortable with, but there's also room for growth, and there's room for new dynamic ways to do things that, honestly, for me, having new music to find and new renditions of things helps me keep that joy and keep that momentum going, because it's like new ways that I can discover God's creativity and God's message and things. So. Yeah, one of the things that you might not realize is a lot um, of the songs, the uh, Christmas songs that we'll be singing are usually updated pu uh, pub and bar songs. Uh, they would take the tunes, Charles Wesley did it all the time, uh, Hark the Herald, they would take the tunes of a popular song at the time and just put God-glorifying lyrics behind it. Um, and so that's just a kind of another way that the church was creative. And why, why do we care so much about that? This is for future generations. You know, we want to keep the church going. We want to keep people coming in. And if we stay here, when three generations from now people are here and we're no longer relevant, what do we have left? Right. It's like basically, it's like, no, everybody needs to learn Swedish to come here. Um, okay, so that, that's just a way. So thank you. Thank you, Shannon. And Shannon hit on that, and that's, you know, as we were... Um, not closing yet, but I wanted to put that picture back up of the cathedral in Glasgow. Um, okay. So if you're ever there, go. Um, it's a remarkable building. Um, 
Glasgow is much more modern looking, except for this building, a couple other buildings. It got bombed during the war. Um, Edinburgh didn't. So this cathedral stands, and I was, when I was in there and just kind of wandering the halls of it, I'm always fascinated by the guy that placed the brick about three feet up fully knowing he will never worship in there. It was to take a couple hundred years. Notre Dame took 300 years. Um, There's places like that you know I'm never going to be in this finished building. My kids won't be in here. My grandchildren won't be in here. But in the basement is where they always started. You had these catacombs and there was this tiny little chapel in the basement. And it's named after uh, uh, the founding cleric, St. Mungo. And in this little cathedral, their chapel in the basement, no windows, dark, is where the people that first started building it worshipped. They didn't get any of the glory. They didn't get any of the beauty. They got the basement. And I think about them all the time and the, the faithfulness of those who have gone before us to put that brick down in the basement saying, this is good enough for me, but I am building something for my kids. I am building something that people that will not know me. They'll never know my name. They'll never know my family. They'll never know, but I am building this for them. And now here, the question then is for us, what are we building for people we don't know yet? For people we, we may never know. What are we building for our children, our grandchildren? We were kind of watching, you know, this construction happen over here, and the quick trip, you know, got built like in eight minutes, right? They just pull up and unload a quick trip, and it drops, right? But the the apartment complex there, um, I was kind of, man, that's taken a while. It's been a year. That's a while for us now. Like, that's, that's, that's taking forever. And I think about these guys going, I wish it was a year in this cathedral. I'd love to have worshipped. But the, they're kind of so instantaneous now that we don't, we take for granted what generations before have built for us. Because we need it immediately. And if we don't have it immediately, like, you know, when your text message doesn't go through, how frustrated you get. Like, what? This is ridiculous. It's a miracle. And now, as we are dealing with a technology-filled world, what are we building? How are we going to innovate? How are we going to create? I love the idea of, you know, if you would have shown this to somebody in the 30s, and, and they would, oh yeah, I know exactly how to use that. And he would try to explain the concept of a cell phone to them. What in the world are you talking about? Okay, what's that thing going to be for us? That we're going to need to figure out how to use it properly to reach the next generation, to reach the lost. It's why I'm so passionate about that is we have to innovate. We have to create. We get to create and innovate and find new ways. Because last week I talked about the urgency It's getting real out there. As the church 
has lost its, its influence in the West as we are a generation away. Um, this, when I was in this cathedral, um, I never saw more than 20 people in it that were there to pray. Other people were there to visit the museum because that's what it is. What are we building? What are you building in your personal life with people that don't know Jesus yet? How are you sharing this gospel with them? How are we corporately coming together to share this gospel and this message? What do we get to do next? It's frightening, but it's also joy-filled. How's God going to use us to make heaven more crowded? That's it. That's the series I wanted to teach in November. And now all of our eyes turn to Christmas. Maybe you decorated your house. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're still protesting. Um, Maybe the snow will put you in the mood. But as we get ready for four weekends or four weeks of celebrating Christ's arrival, may we do it with joy and anticipation, sharing the message. We put cards on your seats. Share this like crazy because God saw his kids and said, I want them back. And I'm willing to go and be born in a place that... You couldn't pick out of a map to rescue them. And that's what we get to celebrate in the coming weeks. May you do it with joy, with wonder, and excitement. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we gather this morning, from a busy week, busy time, we, we hit the pause button right now and just say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for this church. Thank you for those who have gone before us, who updated and innovated, and now it lands with us. And how do we get to make heaven more crowded? How do you get to use us? I'm excited for what that will be. May we be open to it. And may we do everything that we can to share this message with a world that does not know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.